the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Music provided by the 48 Highlanders of Canada. Today's guest, Warrant Officer Justin Thorne, CD, Sergeant Major Buffs Company, Queen's Own Rifles of Canada. At that point, my parents started very, very subtly, otherwise known as not so subtly, hinting that it was time I got a job. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. For today's episode, I don't have much of a preamble. I'm kind of tight for time. I have to pack and get ready to go to Army Week in Ottawa, so I don't have much time to record. Army Week, a couple events this weekend. By the time you hear this, most of them will have passed. But I will tell you that the PPCLI and the Royal 22nd Regiment, or the Vandus, will be taking Parliament Hill and participating in a sunset ceremony. After that, we have the Canadian Forces Small Arms Competition at Connaught Ranges, which will also coincide with the Canadian Army Strategic Planning Session. The final weekend of Army Week concludes with the Army Run through the streets of Ottawa. So if you're a citizen of Ottawa, sorry, we're going to shut down your roads on Sunday morning. By the time this episode is published, the parades will be done, the conference will be done, and the Army Run will just be starting. Who knows, maybe some people will be listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast on Sunday morning while they're participating in the Army Run. So if you are listening as the episodes come out and you happen to be on the Army Run, please have a look for me. I will be out there on Sunday morning in Ottawa. Today's guest is Warrant Officer Justin Thorne from the Queen's Own Rifles of Canada, and Justin and I worked together as Army recruiters and it was essentially at the end of my term as a recruiting sergeant, at the start of his term as a recruiting sergeant, and we kind of passed off the torch with one another as we were heading off in our different directions. We met up again on the streets of Mississauga as I was taking my family out for my mother's 60th birthday, and he just happened to be parked in the exact same parking lot doing up his notes as a Peel Regional Police Officer. It's interesting to note how many of our good Canadian Forces reservists also work in the policing community. Here's my episode with Warrant Officer Justin Thorne. Warrant Officer Thorne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Justin, you and I first met when I was enemy force on your infantry section commander's course in 1991, and that was held at CFB Borden in Ontario. Yeah, it was back in the day when you could actually get away with doing what we know now as a weekend course and do it at a leadership level. It was certainly different than the very intensive courses today. Right. It was a, it was a good course, actually. It's funny that even now today at the, at the level of a warrant officer, you still reflect back to some of the things and the lessons that you learned on that very basic level of leadership. And, uh, and certainly all my leadership training has been very influential in how I've run my companies, my platoons. But yeah, you go back to the core of your learning, which is ISCC when it comes right down to it. Absolutely. And I still draw on some of those lessons myself as well. And it is high intensity. It is formative. And I mean, it's the first time that you're really held to a critical assessment of your abilities and your skills and your decision making. And if you successfully move through that, you come out with a good sense of accomplishment. No, I certainly agree with you. I think it's it's a case where Hopefully by the time that you go on ISCC, you've had a chance to be a Section 2IC and get a kind of feel as to what it's for. Around that time, I think with all reserve units, leadership was a little tight, so I was already playing the role of a quasi-section commander and patrol leader at times, so I had a bit of an idea. But then to get the formalized background to it, and especially when you got into small party taskings and to firm it all up, it really came together for me. So yeah, it was a good time and, and certainly a good basis. Absolutely. 
So I sent you the questions in advance. Are you all set? I am, whenever you're ready to go. Fantastic. Why don't you tell the listeners why you decided to join the Canadian Armed Forces? But in the summer of 1988, I was just coming up to my 16th birthday. Actually, that would have been the winter of 88. Coming up to my 16th birthday and throughout the previous summers, what I had done is I had been, as I still am today, a part of the Scouts Canada movement back then as a youth member today as a leader. At that point, my parents started very, very subtly, otherwise known as not so subtly, hinting that it was time I got a summer job. Throughout that time previously, I had been working down at the CNE in an organization called the Scout Service Corps, which devotes its time on a volunteer basis to assisting people with disabilities to enjoy the CNE, whether it's through pushing wheelchairs or being guides or just any other services. So at that point, coming up to the summer of 88, I was given a choice, get a job or face the consequences. And sometimes it's worse when you don't know what the consequences are going to be. They just use those words and you start letting (laughs) imagination go. Right. And so I started piecing it together. Made the determination that because of my personality and because of some of the interests that I had expressed, a lot of those interests actually very similar with the scout movement, I'd give the Canadian Armed Forces a try specifically with the Summer Youth Employment Program. And that was the summer of 1988. That's the same summer I joined. I didn't go through the Summer Youth Employment Program, but I did do scouts the year before. We went hiking in the mountains of New Mexico at an American scout ranch called Philmont. And myself and a bunch of buddies joined in 1988 at the exact same time. So that's an interesting parallel. But I know there's more than one interesting parallel when it comes to you and I. But anyhow, we'll move on. What was the world like when you joined? Uh, It sounds like about the same as yours. Uh, It would have been pretty much the height of the Cold War. Not necessarily the dirty Cold War, but the one that was all active and all being played out in the media. A lot of uh, boisterous stories on the news about the West did this and the East did that and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, two years later, the wall came down. I remember I was actually in, uh, in Petawawa and it came down just going, wow, what does this mean for the world? So it was a very interesting time. You contrast that with what's on TV, Miami Vice, etc. and so forth, just coming out of the sort of nouveau glam, wash phase, etc. and so forth, bringing together the harsh realities of uh, Eastern-Western relations. And then all of a sudden, everything opens up to this new great unknown where everybody is thinking about the peace dividend and how the world is going to coexist yeah it was an interesting time absolutely being able to look back on it you you get more of a guess or an understanding now as to how much of an interesting time it was (laughs) i joined as 8 17 18 throughout my life i've always had a good handle on international relationships and world politics believe it or not so i got it but when you take a look back you realize how different the world is now to then and what a truly a period of change that time was you could almost miss it the cold war (laughs) when you compare to the craziness that we're going through even right now in august of 2014 and what's going on in other parts of the world you could almost miss the stalemate and the implied stability by the two large powers squaring off against each other but anyhow three little letters called mad for mutually assured destruction kind of just levels the playing field right there absolutely so what were you like when you joined 16 would have put me in grade 11. Very, very, very much more nerdy than I was now. Let's not have to hide anything here. I was definitely a different cat. Certainly 
what the life in eyes. What I'd uh, also say was very understanding, but not necessarily with the full breadth of what I was understanding. Wouldn't say necessarily naive, but definitely without the experience that I have now. I mean, obviously, as we get older, we get more experience. But certainly, the summer of '88 military training opened my eyes to a lot, especially towards teamwork, camaraderie. I'd throw in even the word honor in there, insofar as with relation to the regiment that you join and. Definitely going from not sheltered, but certainly not worldly to where I am now, or even <laughs> where I ended up a scant few months later after basic. It was an interesting time, very interesting time. Absolutely. Now, you brought up the regiment that you joined, but you didn't actually say which unit you chose. So which unit did you choose to join? I would like to say very proudly that I've been born and raised Queen's Own Rifles of Canada, and that's where I reside today. Excellent. Moving on, what is your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces or your greatest achievement? I'm going to split that question right down the middle and call it in two parts. Not a problem. Uh, the first part would be the most memorable experience, and what's kind of weird is I had an opportunity to recently relive that experience. The most memorable experience would have been the 5th of June, 1994. The regiment, the Queen's Own Rifles of Canada, as I'm sure you know, is one of the regiments that went ashore on D-Day. In honor of the 50th anniversary of D-Day, my regiment sent over a 50-man guard, broken into two sections, including the band. I think there was something like 85 or 90 people that we deployed overseas to France for a period roughly from... I I think that trip was the uh, the 3rd to the 10th of June. So on about the 5th of June, uh, we were tied up in a lot of the big show production on the 6th of June with the official ceremonies. I had an opportunity to take the full formed guard, keeping in mind at this point that I was still, I think I was a newly minted sergeant at that point. Certainly not much grass under the feet as a sergeant. And had an opportunity to march the entire guard onto Juneau Beach, exactly where my regiment landed. What makes it even more memorable for me is it's one thing to sit there and talk about your past it's another thing to actually see it the thing that i've just been holding back is that the regiment or the the guard that was overall 50 personnel formed up on rue otherwise known as street in french rue queen's own rifles of canada so a street actually named for my regiment where we came ashore at bernie sur mer marched them onto Juno beach and that was as i mentioned june 1994 probably one of the most memorable experiences actually definitely the most memorable experience i've had Incredible. What about your greatest achievement? A greatest achievement would have to be, as much as it, some would say it's very cliche, is the <laughs> first step out of the door of a CC-130 Hercules aircraft on my basic parachutist course occurring in 9010. Or, sorry, that was my course, your uh, 1990 course number 10. Right. You look back on that course being three weeks long, two weeks of the build-up and the testing and the physical fitness, oh, the physical fitness, and going into to what's known as J stage for your final week after you've passed all your performance objectives or your PO checks. You know roughly what you're getting into because you've been doing it dry for the last two weeks, but just the feeling of relief, of excitement, of everything that you could possibly imagine in that aircraft. And my hands off to the instructors that are at the current school and certainly back at CABC in when I did my course it was Edmonton for understanding the situation and just basically amping you full of adrenaline and making sure that you kept your knowledge and your situational awareness of what you're getting into high 
it was almost, I'd almost say euphoric in the aircraft that you wanted to get out of the aircraft, not because of the fact that, <laughs> oh my God, it's painful. Oh my God, I just want this over with. You want it, you want to get out of the aircraft for the experience. Right. And taking that first step out of the door and doing uh, what's known as the deployment count to four and then checking your canopy and then getting an opportunity to take a quick breath and look around and realize what you just did at 1,250 feet and look around. You can't compare that to anything. You really can't. Hmm, absolutely. As a minor point, I was a recipient of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal. Certainly, in comparison, it was a great honor to receive it, but I also just like to bring that to light because of the fact that I think it was uh, an excellent way to summate my career to date, not only with the Canadian Forces, but at least in my own mind, it certainly recognizes myself as a citizen in Canada, especially as we discussed with scouting involved as well. Certainly. And plus your other citizenship venture into community policing. Ah, yes. The world of Peel Regional Police, which I had the pleasure of joining in 2002. Yeah, that's been a phenomenal experience as well. I keep looking back. It's funny. We were speaking at the end of shift, myself and my platoon mates, and very much like the military, this officer had five years in. I've got just over 12 now, and you just have no idea how quickly, well, I'm sure you do. Uh, you have, it's hard to imagine how fast the time actually goes. Yeah, absolutely. I did a calculation, and I've got less than 10 years in policing to go. And when you say it out loud, it doesn't sound real. <laughs> it's certainly hurry. Hey, anytime you want to give me some of that time to get me close to retirement, as much as I'm loving my job, certainly looking forward to the goal for sure but it's a great time being here now i know there's a lot of good people in the queen's own rifles of canada but i want to know who was your greatest influence or who is the most memorable character that you've encountered certainly again mike you're making this interesting because i can split those down the middle I have, or definitely the greatest influence in my life would be a Warrant Officer Perry Gresty, whom I had the pleasure of working with throughout my time as a Class B soldier from, what was that, 95 to 2002. Perry, I think, came to us in 96 or 97 as regular force service support or RSS staff or reserve service support staff. And just a breadth of knowledge, a personality that was larger in life, engaging and just a phenomenal influence on me. It's truly hard to explain it because it's one of those things where you can say, oh yeah, well Perry did this and Perry did that, but then every once in a while I'll catch myself either saying something even now, several years after Perry, who's now retired, I believe he's actually up in the Northwest Territories right now or somewhere up north. Even today, I catch myself doing something or I catch myself saying something and I can tie it directly back to Perry for sure. And that's not only with my day-to-day -day activities, but certainly in, uh, in my military activities as well as to how I go about running my show. A small example from that is actually two things, even at a platoon warner now currently as a sergeant major's level, is it gets right down to sections. How you fight your sections, I've told my section commanders, how you fight your sections is up to you. And that's a Perryism as far as I'm concerned. That's where I picked that up from. And the other thing is when you're in your section, stressing to their section commanders as much as you're covering a frontal and say, when you're in the advance and you're in your line of breast, make sure that your fire team's a little bit closer to you so you have that ability to communicate with them. Have your frontage, but you can sort of see the individual fire teams and that's who your, your battle buddy is. So just even little things I pick up and still remember today. 
Absolutely. So a couple of things you brought up there. The first one, I noticed that not only with my episode, but the episode with Bruce Mayer, the three of us have reflected on those RSS members who supported our reserve units. Oh, yeah. I reflected on Master Warrant Officer Don Cruikshank from the PPCLI. He was not only our support staff guy, but he was also our rifle team coach. Right on. And every time I pick up a rifle, I'm always reminded of the marksmanship and the instruction that he provided to us. Bruce also calls upon the lessons learned from Master Warrant Officer at the time. He's now Chief Warrant Officer, probably retired. Tiny McNaughton from the PPCLI, and he reflected on his service as well. Right on. Yeah, and it's interesting, and another name certainly worth mentioning is then-Captain Micah True, another very phenomenally checked out soldier who just, again, a breadth of knowledge that he was able to bring to the game, an outlook and a forethought, and from him I learned a lot of time management. I remember him sitting in his office once and opening up a filing cabinet, like one of the uh, the side-sliding drawers, a complete drawer, and he said, see this? This is my inbox, and being at that point only familiar with an inbox being something that's on your desk that somebody <laughs> throws the occasional folder into as the recruiter just getting a full ideas of wow when there's stuff on your plate you really have to pace yourself and you really have to manage your time absolutely i think for anybody who's ever worked either in a senior position in a regiment or in a class b position where you're working side by side with rss staff the influence that they can have you realize how much of an influence that they a have on the regiment but B, also on the people that they work with and beside. Absolutely. And the other thing you mentioned was you spoke a lot about being a section commander and mentoring those section commanders, but something that people don't really think much about. As a section commander, it's your last opportunity to command because command beyond that level goes over to the officer corps at the platoon company and on. So as a section commander, you do have a lot of influence and a lot of power and it is our last opportunity to be a commander. I like to think that as a platoon warrant, as a company sergeant major, you're doing a little bit more than influencing the battle, that you have a lot of direct input, but you're absolutely correct insofar as you're not the doer. You're the you're the assister, if you will. You're the go-to guy. Some would say the go-to guy with all the tribal knowledge that is required in order to get the job done. A name that we brought up earlier, Mark Shannon, Definitely always says some of the happiest times that he's ever had in the military was as a section commander where you're down in the weeds and that you can look below you and see seven people and not necessarily say these are seven are mine in so far as ownership, but these seven are mine and we are part of a team, a formed unit of which I am proud to lead and accomplish tasks. While they're handed to me, I nevertheless get to develop the plan and am instrumental, the key in getting that plan implemented. Or as you just mentioned, higher up you go, you influence you can assist. Sometimes if everything breaks down, you're unfortunately left to do it, be it because everybody gets tasked out or unfortunately in those times where you're the only one with that knowledge skill. But yeah, a lot of times you're just not left on the sidelines, but certainly doing your role, obviously, as the voice in the ear of your platoon commander or of your company commander. Or brigade commander. <laughs> or brigade commander, as it might be. I haven't had the privilege yet of getting there, but we'll see how the next few years go. I've got a couple of more immediate goals in mind before that one. Keep your sights on it, then. All right, so you did say you were going to break it up into two parts, and I know that there are a lot of characters in the Queen's Own Rifles, so who is the most memorable character that you've encountered? 
every regiment has its people that perform, every regiment has its people that don't perform, and it's so easy to go after those ones, the, the most memorable characters. Some of them are the highest performing, some of them are the lowest performing. I just get to take all those off the table and go for just right out strength of personality, and that would have to be Major Eric Simonson, retired. Former R. Sam of the Queen's Own, if I'm not mistaken. Going to the same place there, absolutely. Former R. Sam, so born and raised as an NCO, and then crossed over to the other side. I won't say dark side, but we'll just say the other side. I had a very exemplary career. I certainly got recognized for, actually, for his participation in the ice storm. I believe he was one of the first officers working as a company commander in, was given a very broad AOR, and everything turned up roses for him, primarily due to his exceptional leadership and his, not only his personality, but his strength of personality and character. If he wanted something done, it was certainly done. There's no doubt about it. A man that could be at times of just of two sides, extremely eloquent, very well spoken, gentlemanly to use a term. Yet if it came right down to it, he was able to dig right back deep into his what you would call his RSM or his NCO roots and cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. It wasn't a personality that certainly everybody appreciated. However, he was at that point. I reflect primarily on my time when I was in Gurkha Company, which is unfortunately a nil-strength company at this point in the Queen Zone, and it was tasked with recruiting and with recruit training. And that's where I met, had the opportunity to work with him as his Class B recruiter, himself being Class A, and really getting to know his personality and understanding where he is coming from and realize that he has a plan, he's going to get that plan executed. It's in accordance with the CO's direction. And as long as you understand that, you just sit back. And I won't necessarily say watch the show, but it's not, you never want to get on his bad side for sure. You looked at his personality and you appreciate it for what it's worth when he had to let the dogs out for a walk a bit. Because by that point, normally things had really gone more so off the rails than they should have. And it was time for what the global economic market would call a correction. (laughs) Sounds good. Now we've reached the last question of the episode. What is the greatest challenge you've had to overcome? The greatest challenge all stems from one thing, and that as much as both, as we've touched on in every aspect of my life, I'm kind of put to the front as a police officer, as a constable with uh, Peel Police. There's no way that you can shy away into the background. You can't (laughs) take the back seat and say, okay, somebody else go. As a scout leader, I've been in an adult leadership role for similarly to the Army now, about 24, 25 some odd years now, and leading for a couple years beyond that, right at the forefront. And certainly with the military, as a section commander, mind you, with only seven people, but then subsequently as a platoon warrant and sergeant major, and actually, as we mentioned, as unit recruiter, inherently, I believe I'm a shy guy. I look at how I reflect, if you will, on my life, and I say, okay, fine, where have I demonstrated shyness? Or every once in a while, I'll just come into plan. I can say, okay, I can see where I've been a shy guy. And that played with me right up until the summer of 88. And the experiences from that course was kind of the, the cracking of the nutshell, if you were, to bring me out and expose the elements of the personality that I desire, I need in my job and in my job's plural. And I think that's been the greatest, half of the greatest, because it's all rolled into one. 
So overcoming shyness in the initial stages and even in some of the later stages, given some of the positions when all of a sudden you walk in and there's nothing but officers there and you're like, okay, here we go. I'm the guy that now has to say what the real plan is because of the fact that I have, again, referring to that tribal knowledge that some might not be aware of. I think the other thing is that every regiment strives for perfection. I certainly have elements of perfectionism in me. There's no doubt about that. And realizing at times that as much as on parades, you go for the 100% uniforms, everything's perfect, no dings, everything's spotless. To at times realize that the 90% solution, the 85% solution sometimes is the 100% solution. (laughs) That to go for that 100% solution overworks not only your planning, which then if you're overworking your planning, as you know, for the one-thirds, two-thirds, admin to action. If you're overworking your planning, you're cutting to the time available to actually execute the plan. And also, if you're looking to do it absolutely perfect, if, quite frankly, there's not the requirement for absolute perfection, you're also overworking your people. Right. So to take that aspect of my life and say, okay, fine, for lack of a better term, for a really cheesy example, and (laughs) truly, I use the example word wrong. I do not do this at my house. (laughs) <laughs> but the salt shaker, one inch from the pepper shaker, and those have to be two inches off the wall, or whatever minuscule example you want to get, to look at from a military standpoint and realize that the goal is not perfection. It would be preferred, but the goal is accomplishment and getting the job done, obviously in line with your CO and hire's intent. Excellent. I have to agree. That's great. Yeah, I've never seen you as a shy person. I've always seen you as an outgoing person, somebody who never shied away from voicing his opinion or letting people know what the best course of action should be. It's interesting that when you do that self-reflection that you can see a little bit deeper than perhaps what you portray. Great answer. Yeah, thanks. It's one of those things you always, you put your best foot forward and again, also actually because of the military realizing that the job has to get done you can't sit there and go okay fine is this the time to speak it's like no 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 now is the time to speak not because of the fact that it's time to speak but because it's time to get the job done and and get the goal accomplished absolutely so we've come to the end of the episode is there anything you'd like to say just to summarize your military service my military service I think the thing that I've learned is, while it's cheesy to say, is that you're a sum of your experiences. A lot of people like to think that they're uh, the sum of their courses, that they have this, they have that, etc. and so forth. And certainly for career progression as well as for achievement of position, having all the ticks in a box, making sure that you have this course and this qualification, etc. and so forth, is important. I think it's also important to realize that you're the sum of your experiences and that those experiences, while not necessarily formal in nature, are as equal or if not as more important than some of the courses that you get because they will give you that understanding of the military as a whole, the understanding of hierarchy, the understanding of honor, of tradition, a couple of things I mentioned right off at the front end. And it's not that I wish that more people realized it. I just think that it's a point that has to be known. When you compare myself, especially when, uh, as you know, with shift work, with the restrictions at times of policing uh, throughout my military career. Sorry, when I say policing, I'm referring to a time off and scheduling. When I went through my military career, I also went through university. I certainly don't have the same military courses as some other people certainly do. I'd like to think that not only the respect that I believe I have within the regiment, but the positions I've attained 
speak to that I am the sum total of my experiences. There is some personality for sure in there as well, but it's definitely worth noting that you have to realize what the environment is that you're operating in and take a look at it and make decisions based not only on the courses that you have and what the courses say that you should do or what is the recommended course of action, to use the word course again, <laughs> but also taking a look at the environment and saying, right, been here before, done that, what does my gut tell me? What does my experience tell me? And then make the uh, the best decision. Or, again, as we discussed, as a platoon warrant, as a sergeant major, advise the uh, the platoon uh, commander or the OC of what you believe the best COA is or course of action. Right. So what are you working on now? What's in the future for Warrant Officer Justin Thorne and the Queen's Own Rifles of Canada? Well, as of late, our ORBAT order of battle has been switched over to the next year's running plan already for 2014-2015. Born, bred, and raised Queen's Own Rifles of Canada and also born, bred, and raised at Moss Park Armouries. As you know, we have a satellite armory out in Scarborough at Dalton. And starting in September, actually already in the position, but starting physically on the ground in September, I'll be the Sergeant Major for Buffs Company out in Dalton and Scarborough. So that's the immediate future. At this point, without telling any tales out of school, I am in the line of succession for the RSM's chair. So three years out, if all goes to plan, it will be a Warrant Officer Don O'Halloran uh, will be next up. And then three years later, it should be me. So keeping the Sergeant Major's position in mind, but also ensuring that I have all my courses and time in to be ready for the next great responsibility. And by great responsibility, I know that you know what I mean by that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I wish you the best of luck, and I have had my eye on your progress, so hopefully we keep things moving forward and get you to what your goal is. That's fantastic. Absolutely, and I thank you very much for that, and also for this opportunity to sit down with you and speak about my experiences, certainly with the Canadian Forces, and hopefully for the benefit of the Canadian Military History Podcast. Thank you very much, Justin, for being a part of the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I hope to see you again at Moss Park or even in my own lines at the Brigade Headquarters. And if we cross paths in the police world, I look forward to that as well. Mike, cheers. Have yourself a good time, all right? Yvette, take care. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at Mike Lacroix cmhp at gmail.com please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air while you're waiting for our next episode please visit the website at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca or the cmhp facebook page if you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation please click the paypal link on the webpage. the next time you're considering buying something from amazon.ca please visit the Canadian Military History Podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike Lacroix Production.